We extend a hearty welcome to all this morning, to guests and visitors in our midst, and we pray that as we come come under the Word of God, we would be richly blessed. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 108, the first three verses. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early, and I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. We'll now turn further into the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. A good man obtains favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be removed. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. The words of the wicked are to lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are not but the house of the righteous shall stand. A man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse heart shall be despised. He that is despised and hath a servant is better than he that honors himself and lacks bread. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. The wicked desires the net of evil men, but the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto the counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is he that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The lip of the, the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. 
Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous is more excellent than his, than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduces them. The slothful man roasts not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the way of, and in the pathway thereof, there is no death. So far the reading of God's wise and instructive word. Dear church family, this morning we once again come to the Heidelberg Catechism in our study of the Ten Commandments. We have come to the Ninth Commandment this morning, and I'd like to begin by reading the question 112 related to the Ninth Commandment, which you can find on page 80 in the back of your Psalters. So Lord's Day 43, question 112. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no backbiter, nor slanderer. That I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and in all other dealings, I love the truth. I speak it uprightly and confess it. And also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Although many of the Ten Commandments are given in the negative, they each in their own way focus us and call us to a life of positive, holy living. In the Ninth Commandment, as the Lord calls us to not bear false witness, our initial thoughts maybe go, children, to we're not not supposed to lie, and that's true. But the Ninth Commandment calls us to so much more than just not lying. And as, you, as we've read the, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 112, and the list of what we are called not to and what we are called to, and if you were to turn to the, the Westminster Larger Catechism and the two questions on this commandment, which lists an extensive list of what we are called to and what we are not called to. And I encourage you to pick it up and read, the, read those two questions this afternoon. 
we, we, we ask ourselves the question, we acknowledge, like, who is free from the sins against this commandment? Who has not lied, even this morning, already? And we have to confess that we are undone. We, are, we stand guilty, stand guilty before the Lord, and we need His mercy. And yet we need to remember that this very commandment is given as part of the entire law, is given in the context of redemption. Remember how the law begins, the giving of the law. I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The Ten Commandments were given in the context of redemption so that the people of God would live for him and bring glory to his name to demonstrate that they are the redeemed people of God. And as his redeemed people, the Lord not only calls his people to to keep these commandments, but he also equips them and helps them. And so out of thankfulness for what the Lord has done, we are called to live this way called to be like our Lord Jesus, to be more and more conformed into his image. And in particular, as we consider the the image of Christ, and what aspect of that image we are called to emulate in the ninth commandment, we are drawn to John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our Lord Jesus is the truth. And being the truth, he he is one who desires and delights in truth, in living truth, in speaking truth, for he is the truth. And he therefore calls us, as the people of God, to be a people who are characterized by truth. This means that truth will be manifested not just in the words that come out of our mouth, but in the very way that we live, every action, our entire lives are called to be characterized by truth. This means that we will live it out for the well-being of ourselves, but also for the well-being of others, promoting their their spiritual growth, their, their well-being, physically, mentally, spiritually. It means that we will be a people who recognize and delight in the reality that truth is enduring, even, even when we find ourselves living in a world that seems to, where it seems truth is not present. And it seems like the lie is, which is being propagated uh, so quickly, seems to thrive at times. It means that we will be intentional in cultivating and fostering truth. And we recognize that the Lord who is truth loves to see 
his people live out truth and his favor rests upon them. These are some of the thoughts we hope to pick up on in our, in our study of Proverbs 12, verses 17 through 22. And we hope to consider under this theme, truthfulness, the heart of the ninth commandment. And we want to look at it in five points, picking up essentially one point per verse, except verses 21 and 22 will combine together. That truthfulness is to be lived. Truthfulness is to, is to be advantageous to ourselves and others. Truthfulness is enduring. Truthfulness is to be cultivated, promoted. And truthfulness will be rewarded. We, we live in a world that says that truth can be whatever you want it to be. That truth is relative. And really, this is nothing new. Satan, Satan, who is the father of lies, loves this. And this is how he came as he, as he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He loves to promote the lie, presenting it in a way that is presented as, as if it is truth. He loves when we suppress the truth, which we do by nature, we, we push it down and away. We try to ignore it. And friends, we, we acknowledge that we live in a world that loves the lie, that promotes the lie. But the Lord, our God, calls us to live lives that are based in truth, and that express truth, that tell it, both in actions and in words. And in our passage, Solomon is, is using a, a repeated contrast to highlight the, the tremendous difference that exists between what it looks like to live truth versus what it looks like to, to live the lie and to, to follow the lie and to, to propagate it. And in verse 17, Solomon begins, he says, He that speaks truth shows forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. He that speaks truth will show forth righteousness, but, but one who speaks the lie, one who bears false witness, will show forth deceit. He that speaks, Solomon draws our attention to. And this word is not the general word that we have for to talk or to speak in the, in the original language. It, it actually means, literally translated, means he that blows or he that breathes. He that breathes truth. Children, I want you to think about your breathing a minute. When you breathe, do you... Th- do you consciously tell yourself, okay, i got to take a breath right now? Do i got to take a breath right now? No, you just, you just do it. It's natural. We breathe in and out, in and out. 
And I think this is something that Solomon's drawing your attention to. He that breathes truth. He that lives it in an ongoing way as if it's just a natural aspect of his daily life. He cannot but live, breathe, speak truth. Such a person, Solomon says, is, is and will show forth, will declare righteousness, that which is right. Such a person will not just do this with his or her words, but it is, a, it, is a, it is a way of living. It is a way of life that is demonstrated in the very actions and words and habits and character that reflect truth. And now this word for truth um, is, not a, is not the generally common Old Testament word for truth. And it's a word that has, it's related to, but it has the idea of steadfastness, fidelity, faithfulness. He that breathes steadfastness. He that breathes fidelity. One Old Testament uh, dictionary that I have says of this word, it's used to refer to those whose those whose lives God has established, and he expects to see faithfulness in them. And such faithfulness is characteristic of those justified in God's sight. This is truth that's not only spoken, but it's lived out in day-to-day life. And such a, a life doesn't just happen. But it's a life that is grounded in and through a relationship with the one who is truth. It, is, it can and only will take place when we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who lived and breathed truth here on earth for 33 years. As he was born as a little baby, growing up as a young toddler, he lived truth in the home of Mary and Joseph. As he turned into a teenager, he lived truth, spoke truth. As he, as he turned the age of 30, as he began his public ministry, as he, as he became a public figure, as it were, in the, in the land of Israel, He lived and breathed truth. He reflected what he was. And if you are to live a truth-filled life, friend, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know him. You need to have him rooted in your hearts. For it is only then that we will have hearts, lives that can truly live for him. For apart from the Lord Jesus, we we live the lie. We imbibe the lie. We love the lie. We, as Solomon says, will bear false witness to deceit. We breathe, as it were, by nature, a witness of deceit, intentional misrepresenting of reality that leads to hurt and harm of ourselves and of others. 
And by nature, we have believed the lie. Not only believed it, but we've bought into it and we've, we've propagated it around. Believing that what is evil is good and presenting it as such. We can look through the scripture and we see many, many different examples of what it looks like to live this reality. Jezebel, for example. Ahab, children, you'll remember Ahab wanted Nadab's vineyard. And she took it into her own hands to present it as reality that Nadab was worthy of death. Promoting lies to accomplish her agenda. Ahab's agenda. Or we can think of the Jewish leaders as they riled up themselves and the people at, as, they, as they dragged Jesus to Pontius Pilate to be put to death, convincing themselves that he was worthy of death. Friend, are you breathing, speaking truth? Or are you still buying into the lie? What we breathe out in our lives, in our words, will bear fruit. It will have an impact. It will have an impact on ourselves. It will have an impact on others. And this is our our second thought, that truthfulness, truth-filled living, will reveal itself It will, as Solomon says, bring healing. Children, the old adage goes that you probably have heard on the playground. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Is a lie. The first part may be true. But words can never hurt me. Contradict the scripture over and over again. Read verse 18 with me. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. This could be translated, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword. This word speaks has the idea of of a thoughtless speech, of rash speech, of things that are spoken quickly without much thought. It's actually a rare word in the Bible, and the, one of the other examples of it is found in Psalm 106, verse 33. And where we are told, uh, where the psalmist reflecting on Moses, 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 he says, spake unadvisedly, and that's that word there, unadvisedly with his lips. He spoke rashly. And this is a reference back to Numbers chapter 20, verse 10, where when we read the context, the children of Israel were murmuring, they were complaining, they had no water. And they come to Moses again and complain, how come we don't have any water? What are you going to do about it? And the Lord, the Lord directs Moses to go to a rock and to smite the rock with his staff. 
And as they gather around this rock, we read in Numbers 20, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, So Moses is now speaking to the people of Israel, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Psalm 106, verse 33, gives us the Lord's assessment of Moses' speech at that time. Moses, who remember children, was the, the meekest, was a meek man. He says that the, that Moses' words here were unadvised words, were rash words. They were words that were like a sore that was thrust in and twisted and pulled out. They were words that were cutting. They were painful. They hurt. They hurt to the core, and they lingered. And just like a, 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 a sword thrust in, twisted and pulled out, is going to take time to heal, so such words do. They take time to heal. These words were meant to antagonize, to stir up. These words were, at their core, were words that misrepresented God his character, his work, his truth. And unfortunately, such words are are common in our day, even among us. Words that can be like a sword that are stabbing, twisting, painful. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, speaks of such words. He enumerates them, a list of them, gossip, slander, critical speech, harsh words, insults, ridicule. Gossip, the spreading of unfavorable information, even when it's true to others behind behind the person's back. And so often done to feed our own egos Slander, the misrepresenting of or the presenting of false information that is that tarnishes another's reputation. We think of as we enter into a season of an election season, we see it all around in the political realm. Slander, misrepresenting, tarnishing, trying to attempt to tarnish the reputations of others. Attempting to ascribe wrong motives. But it's easy to look at others. But do we do it in our words and in our actions? Or critical speech about other people. Saying things that don't need to be said. That really do not contribute to the discussion at hand, and yet are put in there to draw attention to someone or something that they said or have done. We can speak directly to people with harsh words, insults, ridicule. And what's behind all of them? What's common to all these so-called respectable sins that Jerry Bridges highlights? 
It's the idea of putting down, of humiliating. Or in the words of Solomon, it's like the sore that's being stuck in and twisted. Rash words, thoughtless words. They just don't happen here and there, but they happen across the spectrum of ages in the church. Children, think about the times you've been on the playground or among friends or even among your siblings and you've said something that was unkind or that sought to lift yourself up over someone else. Maybe it was comments in, in an online chat. But as adults, we're no different. It can be something that's even said at a Bible study in the parking lot here at church, in text messages. It happens among young and old. By nature, we are prone to use our words to hurt others. And friend, if you find yourselves to be the one perpetrating, causing, saying such words, such rash, rash, thoughtless words, the Lord calls you, he calls all of us to repent of them, to examine our hearts. For such words are are really a reflection of our heart. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He calls us to repent of them, to turn from them. He calls us to put on, as we put off, he calls us to put on the spirit of truthfulness, to put on truth himself and to speak words of peace and comfort. And that's what Solomon contrasts this, these harsh words that are like the piercing of a sword that divide and cause pain. He says, we ought to speak words and at the end of verse 18, but the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise brings healing and comfort. But such a, a spirit of truthfulness can only come with a changed heart. It can only come when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truth, who is the one who who has the power to speak into lies and change and bring healing and hope and comfort. And as, as we speak like this, we are becoming more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we do so. Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, tells us that Jesus, the suffering servant, was one like this. He says, the tongue of the learned, that uh, the suffering servant speaking, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Jesus was given the tongue of a, lear- of a learned one. And he knew how to speak a word in season to the weary, to the tired, to the, to the hurt. And he calls his people to be like that. To be wise, to be thoughtful in the words that they speak. To provide hope, mercy, and grace. 
to be like what the Apostle Paul says, words that would minister grace to the hearers. So instead of gossip, slander, or harsh words, we're called to seek to build up others. And so as you speak, ask questions. Ask questions about what I'm about to say. Is it kind? Is it going to help this person grow, to be built up? Is what, I, what I'm about to say, does it really need to be said? Will these words minister grace? Or will they tear down? Will they speak of hope and joy and mercy? Will they be words that are a reflection of the words of Jesus Christ? Are they words that are seasoned with truth, with the word of God itself? And it's not just the words themselves that matter, but it's how they're said, when they're said. Job's friends attempted to be comforters of Job, but they failed miserably. We're called to minister grace to those who hear us. It is only such words that will lead to lasting change, to grounded hope. And we'll see this in our third thought, that truthfulness is enduring. Solomon draws our attention in verse 19 when he's, to this fact when he says that the lip of truth shall be established forever. And he contrasts, again, Solomon, with this, that, but a lying tongue is, is but for a, a moment. The lip of truth on one end and the lying tongue on the other, vastly far apart both in its content and in its effects. Truthfulness is enduring, is unchanging, is is permanent. Whereas the lie, falsehood, is fickle and momentary. The challenge is, in our our day-to-day life, it can seem like the lie is winning. It seems like the lie makes headway. It seems like it brings about the, the desired consequences or results that one may be striving for. And Solomon acknowledges this to a certain extent when he says the lying lip is but for a moment. This, this word in the original of but for a moment has the imagery behind this word is the idea of twinkling or a momentary disturbance. Seems to have potential, but it's gone. Charles Bridges, speaking of this word and of lying, says, even if it suits our purpose, it is just an easy escape from difficulty. It's a miserable, short-lived policy. It is but for a moment. Nay, should it escape detection for a whole lifetime, yet with eternity before us, what a moment is that? And what will be the relief of this short moment under the tremendous wrath of God?
The lying lip is but for a moment. Jacob and Rebekah seem to have success as they connive their lie to get Jacob the birthright. He got the birthright. But so, so many unintended consequences. A momentary lie. But it led to division. It led to running. It led to a breakdown in relationships as Jacob had to flee from his father and mother, as he had to flee from his brother and lived a life always, as it were, looking over his shoulder. Truthfulness, however, is established forever. It leads to lasting and abiding fruit. And again and again, we can see the the value of speaking truth and living truth um, throughout the Scriptures. Children, think of Daniel and his three friends. As they, in particular the three friends, the example I'm thinking of, as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, having refused to bow down before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had raised up. They could have denied the Lord at that moment. They could have lied to themselves that the Lord doesn't see and would overlook them. And yet they remain faithful, bearing witness to the one who is true. And in doing so, they were established. Yes, for them in, in their lifetime, in short order, they were established, raised up to, to be credible leaders in the, in the Persian kingdom. Sometimes that's not the case in our day-to-day lives. It seems that truth, bearing truth and living truth can lead to trouble, challenges, difficulties, facing significant hardships maybe even. Jesus himself has told us that those who follow him will face persecution. Jesus himself experienced this as the one who is the truth, who lived in a world, lived out truth in the world, spoke truth for the welfare, and, and he never did so with a harsh word or in a, in a, with wrong motives. But yet he faced tremendous opposition. In Jesus' life, the lies and deception seemed to win the day as he was brought to the cross. But Jesus, the apostle in Hebrews 12, tells us that for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, knowing that it was but for a momentary moment that this would seem to succeed. But he would enjoy communion everlasting with his heavenly Father. He would see the joy of having his people redeemed because he lived and was the truth. And so Jesus calls his people to be like him. To be a people who live recognizing that truthfulness both in life and in word will be established forever. 
For friend, there will be a day. There will be a day when the lies will be done, will be gone. Satan will be absolutely defeated and cast out. The world's lies will stop. Our old man, our old nature, who so often tells us lies still, will be done away with. And we will, as the people of God, live in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of truth, unhindered for forever. Unhindered forever. And it's, it's this reality, that to, uh, that to this heavenly reality, this eternal reality, that to, ought to motivate and direct us to live truth-filled lives on a day-to-day basis, as hard as that may be. In light of this heavenly perspective, eternal perspective, that truth endures, it's imperative that we live lives that cultivate truthfulness instead of lies that seek to propagate the lie. And Solomon draws our attention to this in the next proverb in verse 20. He says, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. Once more, contrasting a life of living under the lie versus one lived under and in the truth. One life leads to trouble and evil, calamity. The other to joy and blessing. But both involve intentionality and planning. Solomon says, those who are entrenched in the lie have deceit in their heart, imagining evil. This word imagine... It could be translated in a number of ways. It could be translated to cut in, to engrave, to plow, to devise. The idea behind the word, whatever translation, you, uh, what word you want to use, has the idea of intentionality, purposeful course of action. In the context of engraving, it's the idea of taking, uh, engraving into metal, uh, Something. Maybe it's on a ring, engraving initials onto a ring. There's, there's intention there. There's purpose. Or if it's a farmer who's going to go out and plow, he does so with purpose. He has a plan to sow his seed and in due course to bring forth a harvest. Solomon says those who imagine evil or cultivate trouble, they're doing so with intentionality, with purpose, seeking to instigate trouble, evil. It stems from our hearts, which by nature are desperately wicked, the Scriptures tell us. Now, maybe someone says, well, I don't intentionally think of ways to cause trouble or difficulty. Evil. Maybe not. A friend, the propensity is there. The heart of deception is found within each of us by nature, and unless the grace of God changes us and we we devise plans that are rooted in deception, 
Let's seek to serve ourselves rather than help others. But even in moments when we choose evil, the lie, maybe it's in a momentary time where we say, well, I didn't plan to do this. There's still intentionality and purpose. And I want you to just think of an example with me from Scripture. Think of Joseph. Joseph, you know, had been telling his brothers that he had told them the two different visions, the dreams that he had received, and his brothers hated him. They hated the favoritism that was coming, was being shown to Joseph by Jacob. There was animosity that existed. And I don't think they got up the morning that they sold Joseph and said, today we're going to get rid of Joseph. We're going to do away with him. No, but because their heart had been stewing evil thoughts towards their brother, already the, the roots of their actions that day were in the works as it were. The heart of hate led to their actions so that when that moment arose, they took action. Or we can think of Judas spending three years with Jesus. It wasn't just a flick of the switch that made him decide to betray his Savior. Along the way, Judas became disenfranchised, believing the lie that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, and with intention and purpose sought out to betray him. And this is true for all of our sins. Ultimately, they are the net result of buying in to the lie. And they're rooted deep within our hearts. For deceit is at its very core. Deceiving ourselves, lying to ourselves. And it's only, it's only by the grace of God that the people of God can not only have that heart, hard heart broken, that deceitful heart broken, But they can, as Jeremiah describes, be given a heart of flesh. A heart that's engraved with the word of God. As the Lord says that he will put his law in their hearts. In their inward parts. And he would write it on their hearts. And when it's written, when his law, when his word is written on our hearts. It's then that we can live intentional lives. Cultivating truth. Using our words and our life wisely for the welfare of other people. Solomon says, describing the, the, the contrast here, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. The very idea of counselors is, the, is people who are thinking How do I apply the word to this person or into this situation? There's intentionality. One commentator says, people who counsel well-being are people who have plans for others, for their welfare, and not for their loss. 
What kind of life are you cultivating? Is it a life of deceit, of fraud, grounded in the lie? Or is it a life of, uh, that seeks to cultivate truth for the well-being and welfare of others? But what does, what does that look like? Children, what does that look like for you? When you're at home with your siblings, or at school, in the classroom, or out in the playground, how do you cultivate actions and words that seek the well-being of others, the joy of others? It means we have to think about what we say, how we say it, and when we say it. Rash words have no place in such a life of cultivation. Moms and dads, how are your actions and words in the home, in your, as, as you're driving, maybe even here to church, how are they cultivating an atmosphere of truth in your family? Does it address sin? But in addressing sin, does it appoint your children, yourselves, to the grace that is found in Christ Jesus? Does it provide an atmosphere that highlights and praises that which is good and honoring in the sight of God? Or is it a negative atmosphere? that criticizes and critiques. Husbands and wives, how do you promote such a, a life of truth within your marriage? Do you live out that sacrificial love that Christ had for his church to one another? Does it, does your life together, your love for each other, does it foster an atmosphere of openness and transparency where you can share what's on your heart and mind without fear of ridicule or dismisses, being dismissed? Is your love for your wife or your husband foster their growth, and their welfare. Ultimately, I think the Apostle Paul helps us in this regard. As we seek to live out this kind of life, Paul asks us or directs us to to this measuring stick, as it were, for our lives. As he calls us to think about He says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. For in thinking on these things, it will direct what we do and 
what we say. And friend, it's this kind of life that the Lord loves, that he delights in, and that he says he will reward and show his favor, which we look at in our last thought. The Lord who sees all, he sees into the hearts and motives of what we do, why we do it, how we do it. And we read in verses 21 and 22 that the lies that are rooted in the lie, they will lead to to trouble and ultimate destruction. Verse 21 says, but the wicked shall be filled. Not maybe. They shall be filled with mischief or calamity. When one's life is rooted in the lie, separated from Christ... Such a life can and only will be filled with evil, trouble, or calamity. Even though in this life it may seem like they prosper, as Asaph complains in Psalm 73, yet when he went into the house of God, he saw their end. Eternal destruction, death, eternal separation from God. Because... The lie, as, as Solomon says in verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And not just lying lips. In, in chapter 11, Proverbs 11, verse 1, he says that false balances, the use of false balances is an abomination to the Lord. Lies of all kinds are an abomination to him. They are utterly despicable and ugly in the sight of the Lord, and they cannot and will not enter into his presence. For the lie is a rejection of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And friend, what a dreadful place it will be if you die believing the lie, living the lie, buying into the lie, It would be like Ananias and Sapphira as they came before Peter saying, here's what we, we sold the land for. And they gave the money and died in their lie. Charles Bridges commenting says, with this very sin, they were hurried into eternity. Thanks be to God, this is not the only possibility, but verse 21 and 22 speak of a glorious reality for those who who live truth-filled lives. Not because they're living such a life bears them anything with God, but because the Lord himself says, I delight in truth. I delight in Christ-like living. Verse 21, One, there shall no evil happen to the just, but they that deal truly are his delight. In Christ, the believer shall suffer no harm. And as they live out truth-filled lives before the Lord, the Lord says that this is favorable, is delightful to him. The delight of the Lord is resting on them. And not just with our words, but with our entire actions. In, in chapter 11, after, after telling us that false, abomination, uh, false balance is an abomination to the Lord, 
Solomon then says, and a just weight is his delight. Jesus lived truthfully. He was the truth. And it brought him, his father, delight. And, and a delight that was expressed publicly of Jesus. Two times in Jesus' earthly ministry, the father came and visibly spoke, this is my, beloved, my well-beloved son, hear him. And Jesus, who, who told us, and all those who uh, follow him to live honest, truth-filled lives, he says that we will hear on that great day when we are brought into his presence, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What will Jesus' pronouncement be over you? Will it be a pronouncement of well done? Enter into my joy, into my presence, to enjoy my favor forevermore? Or will it be these dreadful words, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? There's a tremendous contrast. The truth and truth-filled living and buying into the lie and living a life of deception. Friend, where are you? It's one or the other. There's no in-between. Jesus is the truth. Come to him, and may it be said of you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Lord, our gracious God, the God of truth, Lord, we're thankful that Thou art the truth, the way and the life. And may Thy people be a people who delight in truth, in living it, speaking it. Lord, help us to be people of the Word so that our lives are, as it were, saturated with truth so that we cannot but Just like we naturally breathe without thinking about it, we cannot but breathe truth in our day-to-day lives. And Lord, for those that are still buying into the lie, still living out the lie and its momentary successes, oh Lord, I pray that they would see the short-sightedness of living in such a life, and that they would flee to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Amen.